Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member... Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Julia Kumari Drapkin, the CEO of IC Change. IC Change has a platform that mobilizes communities to collect and share their own personal climate stories, photos, and weather measurements. They then combine this real-time data with sensor networks and natural language processing to illustrate community-scale climate trends. Why would one want to do that? Glad you asked. Well, as the effects of climate change increase in neighborhoods around the world, City officials and insurers seek to mitigate damage with infrastructure solutions. But when city adaptation and infrastructure planning plays out, it often doesn't involve the stakeholders it will most impact, the communities that live there. And without their key input, solutions are less effective and less trusted. We have a great discussion in this episode about the problem that IC Change is setting out to solve, what motivated Julia to head out and try to address this problem, the origin story of the company, their long vision, their progress to date, some of the key priorities as they think about the short, medium, and long-term future. And we also talked about not only what they can achieve if they're successful beyond Julia's wildest dreams, but also how that fits in to the broader climate challenge, especially as it relates to not just the clean energy transition, but ensuring that it happens in a just and fair way as well. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. I'm so excited to have you and IC Change on the show. We had a quick chat. Gosh, maybe it was, uh, I mean, it was probably two or three months ago, but it feels like two or three well, decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, excited to have you come back and to, and to dig in deeper. Yeah, me too. I'm sincerely looking forward to it. Great. Well, I see you've got the slides all queued up. One question that I've started asking before we get going is in the deck, do you talk about the origin story for the company or should I ask that up front? No, you can. And I, it's an old story, but it's a good one. And I totally think it's relevant for here and now. Um, it's not particularly what exactly what we do now because we've, uh, we've evolved. I'm happy to talk about it for sure. Great. Yeah. So, um, so, so let's jump in. So tell me a bit about IC Change and you know, what you do and how it came about. Yeah, so IC Change um, mobilizes community stories and microdata to help cities, engineers, and utilities inform uh, local infrastructure design and adaptation. 
Mm-hmm. And it comes from years of collecting data, um, years of experience that I've had as a climate science reporter uh, and seeing kind of the top-down technical solutions that are well-intentioned are not keeping pace or reflective of local needs. And that mismatch is really critical when it comes to using resources that we have for their best abilities. Um, yeah. Oh, and I was, gonna, I, was, I was just going to ask um, what, and if, if you get into this in the deck, we can just hold off and, uh, and cover it later. But, but when you say um, that the top-down tech um, doesn't properly address local needs, uh, what do you mean by that? Or, or what's yeah. an example of how that might manifest? Sure. I have lots of examples, um, but I'll start with like a big picture one. Okay. So imagine, and right now is a perfect example, like we're having 100 year weather events happening as often as every three years. And so city planners and engineers are struggling to prioritize and target. That's really critical, those words, prioritize and target the solutions. But they're relying on old numbers and they're relying on modeling, statistical models. And they're looking at climate change like this. You know, this is a flood map, but imagine a heat map, a climate map, any, any kind of model, instead of looking at it like this, with real people at the center of the process. And I was a a climate science reporter for well over a decade. I covered uh, the Asian tsunami and Hurricane Katrina in the same year. And, you know, again, you just see this over and over again, the same pattern. It's a top-down process that's well-intentioned, failing to meet and keep pace with local needs. And it's a three-part problem. So basically cities struggle to engage residents in making solutions, um, which erodes public trust. And it's missing valuable insights, valuable data that they can provide and it's ultimately costing firms, utilities, and taxpayers time, money, and frustration. And so that's why we invented IC Change. And and when you so you showed the the top you know the like the the, the satellite grid um, mm-hmm. or the the uh, and and then you showed the picture of the of 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 the people in the real world with the real story with the real mm-hmm. family. Uh, um, so what's an example of how the the top down version misses the mark for that family. Let me get to it. I can okay, sorry, I'm in pain. I'll get there, I'll get there. But there's like <laughs> the one example that I am going to tell you about, imagine it across the entire climate space and, and I'm just gonna tease it. So we are projecting our future when it comes to mitigation and modeling it. And then you look at those error margins. If we can't do this with basic hydrology or basic temperature data or basic, basic stuff, imagine the data gaps. So hold, hold on, hold on to that thought. I'll show you. Okay. Sounds good. But basically, yeah, this is a community dialogue and data platform. So we've collapsed the engagement process into asking for both data and engagement. That's qualitative and quantitative data. And it allows municipalities and utilities and the design and engineering firms that they hire, those are our clients, to collaborate directly with residents before, during, and after infrastructure design investments. So we are mission-driven. Um, our technology and our innovations are grounded in this mission that everyday people have critical insights to co-create and solve climate problems. And that goes back to our origin story, but maybe we'll talk about that later. I know that's usually where you want to start, but I'll, I'll, it, it, it's relevant to the election, so we can hold on. We can go back. <laughs> I see change channels, the knowledge and the experience of residents like Destiny Bell to share a climate story via phone or computer. She and hundreds of her neighbors can also add real-time details that critically help validate and improve those infrastructure performance models. By analyzing her story, her images and her data, as well as the networks of neighbors around her and across the city, we know why to prioritize and how to target new investments. 
And it's just not enough to stop with data. The, our clients, our cities and our engineers and the utilities are telling us they need risk education to generate public trust around infrastructure. And more than infrastructure, they're telling us they need behavior change. And that's a theme that comes up a lot in the climate tech vertical, right? Behavior change to address climate risk. So what we've seen and measured on IC change is that we can unlock both. We can transform a public critic into a public partner. And that is really, um, we can do that at scale. Um, so we start with our, with our clients, the cities, the utilities, the engineering and design firms, and they hire us to recruit observers and target critical neighborhoods. Um, and this is actually happening in live time today in the city of Miami, uh, who is one of our clients. Um, we send proactive notifications about real-time climate and weather. And then the residents are tracking those events with photos, stories, and data. Um, sometimes we give them instrumentation to actually do this. Um, and they're sharing solution details relevant to their daily lives. So we are analyzing it and aggregating it um, in, alongside third-party data and models. And then um, the process continues over time again and again over time. Um, so here's the example. Um, with our approach, we can, um, I mean, it's not just about reaching out to people, getting their data. It's also who are you not hearing from? The people who are most impacted by climate change, right? They're the ones who are not coming to, um, they're not civically engaged. If you think about, if you've ever participated in a civic process, think about the time that goes into it. That's a luxury. And the people who are most impacted by climate change are not attending public meetings or workshops on weekends. And they're not necessarily on Twitter. Um, so we actually target those folks and we can quadruple the amount of data and engagement you typically see in, in a public meeting. Um, and then we add data. So we actually quadruple the amount of data and feedback collected in multi-million dollar HUD funded infrastructure projects. And we use that to change project designs. So here's the example of how we use that data. Um, when residents are documenting flooding that aren't part of the original plan, again, think of a top-down federally funded project. The city gets involved, they do their modeling. They're missing things and we can prove that. And so our data has actually led to four major design decisions across two multi-million dollar infrastructure projects focused on flooding. Um, and we saved our clients more than half a million dollars in redesign fees because they would have had to change the designs if they didn't have the data earlier. And we added $6 million to an underground stormwater storage unit. We doubled its size and it's now the largest of its kind in the South. And this was in a low income neighborhood that wasn't receiving the federally funded um, support that it should have because of the way federal funding works around flooding. Um, so we, yeah, we've gone from a nice to have to a need to have. Um, we were added to the RFPs um, by the city and, and the engineering firms came to us and started working with us and really now don't wanna not work with us. This is uh, Stantec, they're an international firm and they've offered us contract extensions for both our data and our engagement services. Um, and now we've expanded it. Um, so <laughs> um, we work with cities and states now across the country and we do more than just storm, storm flooding. So I'll walk through a few of those examples. Um, we track urban heat and we're doing that with public health departments. So flooding is the most costly climate impact but uh, heat is the most deadly. And we actually surprisingly don't know very much about urban heat and who it impacts and how at what levels. Um, we have requests to develop wildfire early warning systems. 
um, had a huge uptick of uh, users posting about uh, wildfires, of course, this year, as well as, as uh, air quality. Um, alongside our flooding work, we can add real-time uh, coastal change uh, documentation, and that ranges from you know, coastal erosion or marine heat waves. Uh, we documented one in Biscayne Bay this last year. And we can facilitate um, co-design uh, for uh, carbon mitigation projects. So we were asked to kind of help with designing a city uh, project uh, you know, for zero emissions. Um, or planned retreat, we're in conversations and contracts about planned retreat, which requires community buy-in to these very complicated processes. Um, so we are co-designing our SAS um, with our current clients uh, to provide greater access to real-time feedback and analysis. Um, this is alongside local sensor networks and weather data. And some of the features that we're, um, we've built for the city of Miami are being used today, right now, because they're trying they're dealing with Hurricane uh, Tropical Storm Ada. Um, and, you know, I think that's one thing that we're really excited about is being able to co-design with our clients because, you know, there's so many um, SaaS platforms and dashboards and very few people are kind of tracking it all the way to the end of how a decision gets made. Um, and, I, and that's a mistake that I've seen, you know, way back in my history as a climate science reporter um, or working with NASA or working with some of the federal agencies. We say, okay, we're making data or data systems or dashboards for better decision-making, but very few people track that last mile on how the decision gets made or implemented. Um, so yeah, um, and we're offering the data collection platform um, uh, with subscription services in three tiers. Uh, and we're adding on um, consulting and feature developments as we see fit, but we're basically transitioning the entire um, platform to, to enable our clients to develop their own data collection and engagement campaigns. And the, if I'm, let's say, a, a municipality, the, the, the pitch is essentially that you, you might have the data side, but without the stories to fill it in, you have a bunch of blind spots. And by incorporating those stories, you not only get more supplementary data to fill in the cracks, if you will, but you also get more buy-in from the people by engaging them in the process so that they don't feel like the final solution is put down upon them. They feel like they had a say in how it, it came together. Is exactly. that right? Absolutely. And in prioritizing too. I mean, if you look at some of the data systems or even if you, if you put a sensor on every catch basin or storm drain in, in the entire city, the cities already know that they have more things that they have to fix than they have money to fix. So by enabling residents to, to rally around certain areas that they know are impacting their daily lives um, and adding quality data to the process, we can actually prioritize and target solutions with the community buy-in. Um, so we're, we're doing multiple um, services with one uh, platform. Why does community buy-in matter to the city? Yeah. Um, Community buy-in, when you think about it, when, any, when it comes to the public or public resource, whether it's a public utility or a public space or public taxpayer money like stormwater bonds or climate bonds, uh, that's, that's the public. That is a political space. And often we are seeing a lot of pushback when you get a solution that comes out of nowhere, top down. If people don't truly understand the need, or truly understand how infrastructure works. 
So infrastructure is really complicated, right? Especially when you add climate into the mix. So you need an educated public to not only be risk educated about whether or not they're in, at risk, if their home is at risk, if their car is at risk, but they need to understand how infrastructure does or does not work. So for example, um, if the city Miami Beach is raising roads and it's doing local damage to um, businesses uh, on the roads that are being elevated in the sense that there's construction, there's a lot of less business coming in, those people can really undermine your plan. They can stop them. But more than that, you need people to really understand how this stuff works. It's not about building a $100 million project and expecting everyone's risk to go away. So in the city of New Orleans, where we actually did a lot of our kind of on the ground work to develop the services, we saw major flood events that were kind of the equivalent of 100 year storm events um, undermine public trust and confidence in local infrastructure and utilities. So they fired the heads of the water utilities for corru claiming corruption, saying, hey, you, you took our public money and didn't protect us. But there is no scenario in which a hundred year storm event wouldn't flood our, our city. And the modeling and the data and the engagement gets really tricky as you start to add more and more pumps or mitigation into the process. It really changes the models. It's harder and harder to predict um, performance and it's harder and harder to explain why one event causes damage or another event doesn't. What we find and we've measured is our users come on, they're adding valuable data, they're telling the city what is really important to them and they're learning. It's a behavior change. So they know the difference between a two-year storm event or five-year storm event or uh, this kind of heat wave versus that kind of heat wave. And they understand what the infrastructure is designed to, to mitigate against. Um, as you get into more extreme events, it's less about what kind of infrastructure is gonna protect you and more about, okay, we need a community policy or protect, you know, um, consensus around whether it's safe to drive in the summer. And we have a lot of communities where that's the case. And, and so the, the city or the municipality, are they, is it, is it strictly a, a SAS model that they're licensing the solution? Yeah, I mean, um, we are launching the SAS model, but on top of that, we're also offering consulting and, and feature developments in the very beginning. So, um, but we're basically looking at 2022 to transition the whole um, system over to completely to SAS. Um, there is a little bit of, um, you know, onboarding, a little engagement that we do, um, development of specific features, but we only develop ones that we know will scale. So what has been really awesome and critical is to like co-creating the solutions with our clients. So we know that we're fixing it for one city, but then every city that we've worked with will really enjoy that feature. Uh -huh. And and the um, the cities that are moving forward with this solution, uh, what um, how do they justify the the cost of that? Where where do they anticipate that the return on that invest investment comes? That's a really good question, and I usually have a slide about this. Um, but basically, you can fold us into two line items in any major infrastructure project. One is engagement, and the other is data modeling. And both our engineering clients do that as well as our city clients. Um, so you can, you know, whichever door is the easiest for you to open, <laughs> frankly, because as a, you know, when you're really truly a, um, a service that provides multiple benefits, 
Um, there's no clean box that we always check and say, okay, it's an easy three one one. There's a little more, you know, we're adding data services as well as kind of engagement uh, on top of it. The the subscription is um, for for our clients is is a monthly. But um, we are often involved in these infrastructure projects that have like a two-year timeline. So you can add us in at the RFP level, like at the very beginning. Uh, and that's actually B2B is, has been faster for us to launch than B2G. Um, and we'll often do both. So even if we're kind of working with an engineering firm or on an infrastructure project, the longer term benefit is demonstrated to the city or the state who's ultimately the client. Um, and they often ask us to continue working. Um, does that make sense? It's a very, infrastructure is a very cottage industry. You'd be surprised at how, yeah, it has a long way to get digitized. <laughs> and and what, what metrics do you look at to know if the, if a specific client engagement is going well or successful? Yeah. Um, well, there's two ways we can look at it. There's the quantitative typical way of doing things like, you know, the number of people engaged, the amount of data that they've provided. Are they from low income residents areas? Are, have we not heard from those areas before? So with our city clients, we've kind of outlined areas where we know we haven't heard enough from these folks. Um, so I see change is now available in Spanish. We know that there's Spanish speaking neighborhoods potentially or kind of Creole speaking neighborhoods we haven't heard from. So we can measure engagement that way. But one thing that makes us different than uh, typical social media is that we are not trying to keep people on the platform. We're telling them that we're using their data very transparently, like every post we're using to contribute to infrastructure work. And so therefore we're not trying to keep them on the platform and we don't have those metrics that we were saying, okay, this person logged in this many times today. It doesn't work that way. Um, we want to, to people out connecting with their neighbors and paying attention to change in their neighborhoods. Um, so we actually, the qualitative metrics we use are, did we change a design? did we provide insights to the client that they didn't otherwise know? So for example, today <laughs> during Tropical Storm Itta, you know, the city is advertising certain areas that they know are flooded and we're actually telling them, actually we saw a few more neighborhoods wanna add them to this list right away. Um, when we work in Ocean City, New Jersey, we have a very active community there. And so NOAA is predicting 20 storms, 20 flood events a year just from high tides alone. Um, and we have a community that has, we don't have a, we have a pending contract there, but the community in New Jersey has used IC change on their own. We've barely helped them. Um, and they've documented 40 flood events in 2019, and we're probably going to exceed that in 2020. So that's double what Noah predicted. That means we've changed the model. And it's because flood events plus rain events, very moderate ones, create significant flooding. And it's not being considered in a lot of the flood risk modeling that we know um, is, is out there. So we, we take those qualitative metrics or these insight metrics pretty seriously. Um, but yeah, we use, you know, there's definitely the, the traditional metrics. So, you know, people on the platform, active users, data gathered, et cetera, et cetera. And what is it that motivates the, the residents to use IC change? That's a great question. I love that question. Um, yeah, people come to us um, usually. Um, because they are feeling the pain. They're feeling um, the pain from a flood or a drought or wildfire or a heat event. And they want people to do something. They want to be heard. So we have a pretty amazing organic user base across 118 countries. We're not just in the US. But when we are working on these kind of very specific kind of client-driven um, projects with the city of Miami or the health department in New Orleans or whatnot, 
Um, we're going to them and saying, your data matters. We are using your data to inform a specific flood infrastructure project, a heat policy. Um, we are, you know, and there's this kind of this notion of collective interest. So, you know, people have come to us and said, you know, can we offer discounts to for local, you know, adaptation or rain garden work or, you know, cooling fans? And we're like, yeah, that, well, we, we appreciate that. But the, when we interview our users, they're in it for a community driven reason. It's outstanding. Um, a lot of people are overlooking this community desire to, to adapt together, to, to, to provide information for more than me, a more than me reason. Um, and when we can sync that to an infrastructure project or a carbon mitigation project or an energy efficiency you know, effort, it, it amplifies the, the reason why people come to us. But if I'm hearing right, it sounds like people can use it anytime they want and then, and then like client projects can come and go, but they can post on it uh, all the time, whether there's a client project active or not. Exactly. And that allows us to grow the, the business model. So once we launch and we have an established, uh, very strong user base in a specific community, then we see as kind of a snowball effort or a snowball effect of both clients and users. So our work in New Orleans is now kind of expanded into heat work. Um, or, and then we're also looking at working with the state on watershed level um, flood reporting. Um, so it just kind of, once you launch and kind of it grows, we get growth of both clients and users. But yeah, I, we have posts from all around the world um, and it's just, people come to us, we have no marketing um, out there uh, to kind of attract them. They, they find us and they come to us and they use us. We've heard from, we've seen the most incredible posts from Tokyo or Kenya, um, parts of Indonesia. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, um, and, and that's really important too, both for our clients, especially the cities. Um, it's learning out loud. And I think y'all in the My Climate Journey group can appreciate what that means, right? So when the mayor of New Orleans is up there and saying, it's not just our city flooding, there are other cities in the US flooding too at this level. People in IC Change can see that. They can see the relationship to, a, you know, and, and, and climate change, whether it's modeling, data, Scaling solutions is a problem of scale. Um, and that's how I invented IC Change, actually, if you want that story. <laughs> um, I was uh, living in DC in 2012, and it, this was when I was still a journalist. And uh, I, was, I was drinking with the Office of Science and Technology Policy. These are the science advisors to the president. <laughs> Um, and it was a lot of folks from John Holdren's team and I can get punchy when I've been drinking. And I said, what is the holdout team Holdren? What, what, what adaptation? Why can't we get that through Congress? And you might remember 2011 was a record breaking billion dollar disaster year, right? No one was talking about it in terms of climate. Um, and as a climate science reporter, that was just devastating. I couldn't connect the dots from the climate models, which average large amounts of time and space and can't really drill down into individual stories. So as a journalist, that's a, that's a communication problem. That's a, nobody cares. But when I found out that, you know, I was like, team Holden, what's up? And they said, you know what? We can't go to a congressperson and say, this is how much climate change costs your district. I realized that it was a scaling problem that they were dealing with too, right? And I came up with the solution. I was like, you know what? We have satellites, we have sensors, we have social media. We have this way to meet in the middle. And it's still what we do. Um, and I, you know, IC Change got funded originally as a public media project, just as a journalism project. We had no business model. 
<laughs> we, um, we just had this incredible um, insight back in the napkin idea uh, and getting out of DC to go and be with people who don't believe in climate change was actually one of the greatest moments of my life. So we started IC Change in rural Western Colorado where half the town worked for Bill Koch and his coal mines. And it was the people who are living in the land who know way more about climate change than any of us sitting in front of our computers. And they're experiencing it. And if you go to them with respect, they are feeling the pain um, and, and they're there to meet you. So we just said, hi, I don't care if you don't believe in climate change, just tell me what you're seeing change, how it impacts you. And they brought out all of these um, journals, these almanacs that go back to the Dust Bowl, 1933. And it was 2012, it was one of the most unusual weather years in the history of the United States. And um, we could see this relationship between the droughts that burned down Colorado um, and the, the phenology and all the change patterns that were happening. Um, and what we realized was twofold. Like one, these, nobody was putting these out online or syncing them to data and doing this collectively. But two, they were ecological forecasting tools. So we were reporting on drought before the USDA knew there was a drought. We were reporting on wildfires in the snow in March before Colorado burnt down that summer in July. Um, and so with all the wildfires coming, you know, even though we've been really focusing, razor focused on wedging our product with flooding and heat, we're getting a lot of requests now to kind of go back to our roots on wildfire. Um, but really when it comes to like, why now, why this, why, why now? It's about infrastructure investments. Like whether it's an urban scenario or a rural, it's infrastructure investments are one of the go-to approaches for economic recovery. Um, and we're seeing this with the energy transformations as well. And, and we're seeing utility costs because of climate change underway. Um, so these are obviously, you know, recent hurricanes. My God, we have, <laughs> it's not stopping. There's just, uh, these are posts from, from IC change. Um, and we're seeing cities shifting billions of dollars in capital projects to address climate change. So again, we're designed for these focused dialogues, um, data dialogues uh, um, as well, uh, that is really critical for this transformation. Um, and um, you know, we're very different from, from traditional solutions. None of these solutions were designed for climate change. Um, so we're unique to a 21st century challenge. Um, we are, you know, 311 systems, uh, we, can, we can sync to those, <laughs> they're, but they're transactional and they're limited in context. Social media, uh, right now, if you try and log into your Facebook page and try and understand what's going on with a real weather event, you're gonna be flooded with all the polit politics. Um, it's messy. It is, um, um, they, and also the, the traditional social media is lacking the granularity of location and the quantitative data details. So we, it's just noisy, just noisy stuff. It's a noisy unfocused place to have a really delicate conversation. Like you don't wanna have a conversation about relocating your town on Facebook. You know, and that's, you know, that's some of the stuff that we're asked to do. Um, and PR firms are, are kind of outdated in their approach. Um, and they're usually the ones that are tapped for engagement contracts with both the cities and the engineering firms. So we're working across these platforms to provide more value to the effort and data in the areas where we focus. Um, and then in addition to kind of the transformation that's happening with regards to the need, there's also a transformation with regards to, you know, to funding in this space. Uh, 
this is um, Shale Khan's, uh, I borrowed this from Shale Khan <laughs> and uh, kind of his way of, of organizing the climate tech space. Um, so we, you know, understanding is needed. It's a critical step to unlock, to unlock both building consens consensus and behavior change. Uh, I mean, you need both for mitigation and adaptation. And I know that everyone's wanting to focus on, on mitigation, it's critical, but we're way too far down the line to ignore adaptation. You need to do both at the same time. I mean, the conversation around mitigation, I wish it was happening 10 years ago. Um, it's amazing, it needed to happen 10 years ago. So I'm saying right now, we have to do mitigation and adaptation at the same time. Um, so we're an, ICE, we're, we're an insights asset tool and we support each segment of the rapidly developing vertical. Um, and in, in terms of uh, competition, so when you go and, uh, and submit this as a line item in an RFP, let's say, are, I mean, are there other firms that do what you do or, or is the biggest competition just leaving it out altogether? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of framing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's, we have ever seen anyone trying to do what we do. Um, there's a lot of broader tools like, you know, kind of platforms to say, let's co-design your neighborhood. Um, let's put the bench here. Let's, you know, or there's tools that are like C-Click-Fix or um, Neighborland, um, which are like, you know, Neighborland is more of like, okay, we'll, we'll plan with you. But they're not really doing a lot of the data and they're, not, and they're just kind of one-offs. Um, there's Zen City, which is uh, scraping social media, but not developing the relationships. And again, once we, once we launch and land, we continue this long-term dialogue and that is continually feeding back data to the city to keep pace. And the other thing that's really critical is that you can come in with like a one-off project and go, but that baseline data is changing so fast. You need to keep it consistent um, and, and keep collecting data to kind of validate things. We have another graphic that's not in this deck that kind of shows you how we fit into the infrastructure performance um, process, like from the RFP to the co-design and then monitoring and evaluation. None of these tools can collect the data necessary for monitoring and evaluation. And what that means is we are throwing spaghetti at the wall when it comes to adapting climate change. We really don't know what we're doing, like the royal we. So as resources become more constrained, you need to know what worked and what didn't. And so we're seeing great interest in using our tool and our data to kind of check, okay, did that five-year stormwater project actually reduce flooding during a five-year storm event? And we have the baseline data, the networks, um, and we actually can work with sensors if you do deploy them, any API, any sensor network. Um, it's just, you know, we just add it to the mix of, of the data. And I think that's the thing is we need as much data as possible, um, but don't discount people as an incredibly important part of that data package. Um, so I hope that answered that question. That was a good one. And then uh, what are the key priorities for the company over, say, the next 12 months? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, so we have back you know, bootstrapped, I guess that's the word. We've raised 1.4 million in non-dilutive capital to date to build IC Change and the global community and really vet and acquire clients. Um, so uh, we are now raising 1.2 million. It's our first raise. Um, we're looking to do that by um, Q2 to, you know, of next year. Um, and that's a really, that's really a critical. We, we know what we're doing. We're getting traction. We're, we have clients uh, and solid rev, you know, revenue milestones for 2021 that we know we can reach. 
Um, and we just want some, some extra fuel to the fire to, to scale our revenues and, and further our SaaS development. Um, so we're looking for, you know, thoughtful investors. We're also um, open to collaborators and, and advisors. Uh, we started working with the product of, uh, formerly of Meetup, um, Matt Thresh, he's fantastic. We, he's been meeting with us regularly and just adding a lot of insights and value to our, um, to aspect, to members of our team. Um, and we have a great team. So we're, as we grow, we're always looking for people to join it. <laughs> um, again, we're um, a unique team. Um, we are, um, you know, coming from the communities that are experiencing the worst of it. And so we're not um, developing things in a vacuum, right? <laughs> so we have journalists, we have user experience designers, engineers and data scientists, social scientists. Um, the team's worked with NASA. Um, we won an award um, um, from last year from, from MIT to uh, for uh, called the AI for the Betterment of Humanity Award. So we take that humbly uh, <laughs> every day. We take that on every day because um, what we're doing really matters and it, it, can, it makes money and it, and it will make a lot of money, but it's also going to do a lot of good. Um, and uh, we're, um, yeah, you know, we do a lot of speaking. Uh, so, you know, we've presented at MIT, the UN, uh, IKEA, Social Change Behavior Research Institute's focus on behavior change because we're all figuring that out. Um, and we have this global community. Um, so we, we really are reaching out to, to them and the My Climate Journey team um, crew. Um, there's incredible talent. I've enjoyed being a part of the community these last few months. And um, you've really, you know, you've brought together an incredible group of people and we're, we're really looking for, um, to hear from leaders and, and investors in the MCJ community. Um, who understand that kind of a truly smart, resilient city is one that is centered on its smartest, most resilient sensors. People. And uh, Julia, in your wild, if, if this is successful beyond your wildest imagination, what have you achieved with IC Change? Uh, we've heard from the people who are not heard from. We've wildly improved our chances with adaptation and mitigation. We've accelerated mitigation technology as well as developments um, because they're, they're stymied by this lack of data and this lack of understanding. Um, you know, we're on a timeline. Uh, we're on a timeline and we, there are stakes in this in, in opportunities, right? Sustainability is the greatest opportunity ever. It, but it also has real stakes. If we don't do it right, we lose so badly. So we are moving that needle and we take it seriously because a lot of us have experienced these impacts um, and have been working on this uh, space for and seeing the problems for a long time. Um, so I, I know we've already, we've already had paradigm shift uh, in the ways that we've worked with cities and engineering firms to really understand how you co-design solutions with a community to make those solutions better. Um, so I think it's, it's, and then, yeah, we, we, we do well. We, we have an entire global community that has seen changes together and making them. So we nail, we nail our business, we exponential growth. And from that growth, we have a global moment, um, a paradigm shift on how we do mitigate and adapt to climate change. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have or any parting words for viewers? You know, I've been listening to the show quite a bit. I've been hearing from the, the startup community. 
And I really, really, at this particular moment, and just because I see change is so informed by talking to people we don't agree with, and we cultivate people on the platform to provide data and to talk to us in ways that, you know, that are surprising and new, that if we're, if in this moment, if we're truly going to be successful, we need to reach out beyond the box of people who agree with us. And, and I'll tell you why, um, you know, beyond our own business, I, I see a lot of energy, but naivete. Um, even when we have, like, if you have a climate forward president or climate forward Senate, you're still going to have regulatory issues and you're going to have all these people who are actively trying to block you because you haven't done the hard work of getting the consensus you need. Um, and it's not easy. It, you know, so have, you, know, you need to know that you're in for the long run and the hard fight. And you need that consensus. You need people who don't agree with you. And that's just me, apart from IC change, to the, you know, especially anyone who's working in the energy sector. Um, and we're talking to utilities. We're really excited about that. That's, you know, we're having enterprise conversations with utilities way ahead of schedule. But you need, you need those people. Um, so, you know, now the work starts, the real work starts. Um, if we're going to take climate tech to the levels that we know it needs to go. Well, I'm so glad I asked that last question. I, um, that's the first answer that I can remember uh, in that regard. And I think it's a really insightful and important one. Well, I, I am happy to have that conversation anytime. That's part of the, that's how you learn. That's how you can create new things. So if anyone wants to talk to me, I'm Julia at IC Change. <laughs> and we'd love to keep talking to you, Jason. Well, Julia, this is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, uh, congrats on all the progress you've had you. up to this point. And, and also just, uh, you know, best of luck with the, both the opportunity that's in front of you, but also the, uh, um, you know, the hard work that that's in, in front of you. It's, it's, an, it's important work that you're doing and I wish you every, and the team every success. Hey everyone, Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.